Acts chapter 12 today. This is actually, this is a fascinating one where we're at because we've just been walking through this. We've been on this journey with the church, the birth of the church and all that good stuff and persecution has already hit it. Uh, But now it's intensifying to a to a whole nother degree um, as we're going to, we're just going to walk through this chapter together. This chapter flows pretty, pretty quickly. Um, We're going to deal with one bad guy, uh, but there's a lot within this chapter concerning, um, man, just how much do we trust God? Do you trust him? That'd be a, a great question, right? Do you trust God? I know the church answer is yes. Okay. Well, that doesn't really count for much though. Okay, because we know we're supposed to say yes, but when it gets right down to it, when you're in prison, shackled with Roman guards all around you, how much do you trust them then? Is it to the degree, to the level to where you are having the best night of sleep you've ever had? Do you trust them that much? I would say probably not. Because little things happen in my life that are nowhere, nowhere near the comparison to what some of these guys went through. And I'm like questioning, like, I'm like, Lord, I don't know if I trust you. I don't know. Where are you at? And all this stuff. Um, we're going to walk through this. And just looking at the man, uh, Peter, um, and just how, how God has just transformed and is transforming this guy into just an amazing man of God. Okay? It's a journey for all of us. And it's cool that we get to go through the word and we get to see the journey of others. All right? So verse 1, let's look at this together. This is about that time, Herod, uh, that's Herod Agrippa I. He's the grandson of Herod the Great, who was the madman who killed a bunch of babies when Jesus was born. Okay? This family is whacked. Okay? These dudes are nuts. They're crazy. So you got Herod, Herod the Great, just insane. Um, insane. And now you have Herod Agrippa. It's his grandson. Um, you can do a whole study on their family lineage and all the backstabbing and, and the murder and, and just the bloodshed that, that just happened within their own family. Imagine going to their family reunions, right? They'd be dwindling every year because they're killing each other, right? But you don't want to be a part of that family. But this guy is, he's a madman. He's a madman. This is about that time. Uh, and so we know just from context that you have uh, Barnabas and Saul are, are they came, they, they just showed up in Jerusalem with the gift from the church in Antioch that, uh, that got started because of the earlier persecution with the death of Stephen. So believers scattered out everywhere and some guys got together up in Antioch and Antioch is the third largest city in the Roman Empire at this point in time and a church is growing there and so the the apostles send Barnabas because every new church needs a Barnabas and the more Barnabas you can can have in a new church, the better off the church is going to be. You need encouragers because this is not easy. So there's Barnabas, and he's up there. People are getting saved like crazy. So he goes off to get the apostle. He gets Saul, who will later be called Paul, brings him, and the Lord is just doing amazing things in Antioch. Prophecy happens, famine hits Judea, the church of Gentiles. The church of Gentiles takes a love offering and blesses the church in Jerusalem right? There was this great wall that was there at one point in time, not too long, where the Jews hated the Gentiles. And even Peter going into Cornelius's house stirred up all kinds of trouble within the church. And people are like, you can't go in Gentiles' houses. You're not, that makes you unclean. And Peter's like, well, God told me to, so deal with that, right? Like, there you go. God told me to. I'm going to obey God and not religious traditions or anything like that. So that's what I did because that's what he told me to do. And now the Holy Spirit has fallen on these guys and they're part of the family. Let's welcome them in. And so this Gentile church sends relief to the Jerusalem church. And it's in the midst of that is when this persecution gets stirred up. That's where we're talking about now about that time. That's the time frame we're talking about. Okay. It says, Herod, the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. There's, why? Well, because he wants to gain favor with the Jews. Um, just so you're aware, in case you've forgotten, James, both James and John, John would be the disciple whom Jesus loved, the guy who would go on to write 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, Book of Revelation, uh, the Gospel of John. 
Um, Jesus gave, gave these two brothers a heads up. He says, listen, um, you're going to drink from a cup of suffering. Remember, their mom was like, hey, can my boy sit at your right and your left hand? He's like, mm, no. He's like, listen, you're going to drink from a cup of suffering. And that happens in James's life. That, for him, it was the sword. His life was taken from him. John, if you know anything about John's story, that guy went through so much stuff. But here he is, James, one of the prominent leaders of the Jerusalem church, probably brought out before a crowd so that he could be murdered in front of all of them. For what reason? Political gain? To gain favor with the population? It says he killed James, brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, imagine that. And it wasn't that long, that long ago within our chronology here that Jesus was brought out before the Jews by Pontius Pilate. And they loved the fact that he was sentenced to death as well. So you have this, this crowd of, of individuals that th- there's a problem, and it's called the church. And these people, they, they look and they talk and they act like Jesus. And, and it's all fresh on their minds. Not that much time has passed by. It's all still fresh on their minds. And they see the way, quote unquote, as the problem. And Herod is like, well, I know how to solve problems. This is how we do it in our family all the time. We kill each other. So he brought James out and he murdered him, had him murdered, and everybody, the Jews who were in opposition to the church, celebrated his death. They celebrated it. It pleased the Jews. He proceeded further to seize Peter also, now, it was during the days of unleavened bread. I don't, your translation, I don't know what your translation is. Some of them say Easter, which is kind of a weird translation, but it's during the Feast of Unleavened Bread here, uh, which is the preferable uh, trans, uh, translation there. The Feast of the Days of Unleavened Bread. So when he had arrested him, arrested Peter, he put him in prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers. Okay, that's up to 16 soldiers, all right? Four squads of four. That's a lot. You don't normally do that for a prisoner. You don't normally do that. But he understands, okay, this guy's already been put in jail once, and he got out. We don't know how. So let's surround him with a guard, a a full squad of soldiers to watch over this one man, to keep him, intending to bring him him before the people after Passover. And what what that saying there is, once Passover was done, his intention was to bring out Peter in the same manner he brought out James, and he was going to kill him with the sword. That's what he was going to do. Because he, he, he became super popular by murdering James. So he's like, well, I'll get, I'll get Peter, because Peter's like top dog. He's like, he's like the man concerning this church movement thing. So we'll, I'll bring him out, we'll kill him, and we'll squash this movement. So you can imagine the turmoil that's happening within the church as your leaders, the pillars, are being brought out and they're being slaughtered. Imagine that. Who's your hero in the ministry? Who's your hero? Who is the one, maybe the one you listen to on podcasts, maybe the one you listen to on radio with pastor or teacher or whatever. I mean, you're like, I I just, I don't miss a day without hearing so-and-so, imagine that they were brought out and they were just murdered in front of everybody. Because our government was like, hey, church is a problem. We know how to solve a problem. We'll just kill them all. That's what was happening in this, in this scenario. That's what's going on in this world. This happens all over our, our world today. Just because it's not happening in America doesn't mean it's not a real problem. Over on that table over there by the kitchen, we, we didn't put all the coffee stuff out there because there's a map of the persecuted church and there's some other Voice of the Martyr, ma- Voice, Voice of the Martyr magazines that are out there. I set those out there Thursday night. So I thought, oh, you know, it'd be cool to want to have those visible, right? Um, my intention was not to leave them there. However, my youngest daughter came by and she picked up one of the magazines. She started flipping through it. And she's like, hey, can I take this home and read it? I said, uh, please do, absolutely, absolutely. And so I was like, you know, I think we're going to leave those out there because what we need is to be more aware of what's happening to our brothers and sisters all over the world. 
prominent leaders within the church are being dragged out and murdered in front of their congregations each and every day. That's real life. That's Christianity. Just because it may not happen here doesn't mean it's not happening. So we need to be praying, and, and we know that the response from the church is going to be prayer. Prayer. We're going to pray. James was murdered. And that's unfortunate. And, and what do you, where do you put that? How do you deal with that? And, and I, we don't know. Things like this happen. I don't have any good answers for you. And I'm not seeking to find good answers for you. All I would ever seek to do is to point you to Jesus and say, listen, I don't know, but I do know the more you run to him, the more he knows how to, how to soothe those pains. There was a quote given at the uh, men's conference we went to yesterday. Um, and the guy said, the greatest tragedy is not death. The greatest tragedy is missing the adventure with Jesus. And what we need to understand for James, he was already on the adventure with Jesus. And the death, yes, it is traumatic. Yes, it is hurt. It's pain. But for James, the adventure just continues. And it just got a whole lot cooler for him. That moment he was he just present with the Lord. But that's still going to affect the church. And the fact that Peter is arrested, it's going to affect the church. But what we can learn as a church body is what their response was. It has to be our response. When things happen, we need to be like these guys, and they're going to pray. We're going to see that here in just a second. But this will really test your faith, right? I mean, somebody you look up to, somebody you admire gets locked up in jail simply because they represent Jesus. That's going to test your faith. It will. I hope it does. I hope you're not like, oh, well, you know, that happens. I'm sure they'll be fine. I just got to live my life. I'm super busy and all this stuff. And no, no, no. These types of things should shake us to a certain extent to where we're like, you know what? Lord, where am I at with you? Peter would go on to write 1 Peter or 2 Peter, obviously through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he was always quick to remind the church, listen, suffering's going to happen in your life. And when it does, consider it a blessing. Count it a joy because you get to suffer because of your connection to Jesus. He had a fantastic outlook on, on that, that aspect of life, and we know that he gained that because of walking with the Lord, and it was moments like this. But here's the crazy thing. Peter, in this next part of the story, is just at perfect peace. He's at perfect peace. I mean, look at it. Look at, so we, we go from this big picture down to this small little window. It's as if we're, we're peering into the window of this dungeon. You can imagine yourself. You can put yourself in the story. You're there. Maybe you can imagine yourself chained up next to the guy or just looking from the outside through those bars, if they had them, uh, looking through that and watching Peter and saying, okay, how's he going to react to this? How's he going to respond to this? It says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant or earnest prayer, James has something to say about that, right? The, the constant, the earnest prayer of the righteous availeth much, okay? Um, I just summarize in that verse there. You can look it up for yourself. But uh, this, on, this constant, this earnest prayer, this is a, the other word that could be used for that, that term there is, is agonizing, agonizing, which should fire off some things in your brain, uh, making you think back to the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was in the garden praying in agony, so much so that the capillaries underneath his skin were bursting, and he was sweating great drops of blood. That's a medical thing. Under so much stress, his body was responding that way. It was agony. The church is praying just like Jesus did in the garden on the, one of the darkest days for them. James, one of the leader, leaders, he's dead. Peter, one of the other leaders, he's locked up in prison for the second time now, and they probably all fear what's going to happen. What, what they weren't able to do the first time, for sure they're going to accomplish it the second time because they would have gladly murdered him the first time if they could have. But they are for sure through Herod, going to accomplish that task, so they think. 
But this constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. What a great response. Difficulty falls upon the church. What do you do? Run away. No, wrong answer. Wrong answer. We pray. We pray. That's what we do. How do you handle issues within the church? I hope it's through prayer. But oftentimes, that's the last thing we do, right? Because we're problem solvers. We're problem solvers. There's a problem, we fix it, right? That's just what we do. We address problems by trying to fix it in our own wisdom, in our own might, in our own understanding, and we just mess it up even more. And God's like, hey, um, why don't you just come talk to me about it? Why don't you just talk to me about it? See, what we don't understand, and I can respect the church for, they're just going to, that's all they know to do. What are we going to do? What can we do? We can pray. We can pray. And as they're praying, what they don't understand, maybe, is that God's already at work. He's already got a plan. He's already got a plan. That's the coolest thing about this type of stuff, too, when persecution hits the church. God knows about it. I'm not, I don't want to, like, surprise you too much here, but he already knew about it. What? Yeah, that's what's cool about God. He already knows from the beginning to the end. He knows what's going to happen. But it is our responsibility as a group of believers who come together as the body of Christ to commit ourselves to praying, to committing ourselves to praying. So it says, verse 6, when Herod was about to bring him out, the feast and all that stuff is done, that night... No, note the, note the time frame here. The night before he was supposed to be placed on trial. Okay, this is New Living Translation, I believe. He was asleep. Peter, the, the night you're going to die. He, now, you need to understand this about Peter. He's not worried about dying. And you're like, well, because he's a Christian, he's got a relationship with Jesus, he knows he's going to heaven. No, 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 no. He's not worried about dying because he knows he's not going to die. How do we know that? Because of what Jesus told him. Because he's holding fast to the word of God. He has treasured or hidden the word in his heart. Let me read you this reference. From John chapter 21. In case you have forgotten about this little story involving Peter. We're not one of his highlights in following Jesus. You know, where Jesus has to show up after Peter has denied him three times. And he's like, hey, Peter, if you, you know... Tend my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Hey, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He's like, ah, oy vey, I, I love you. You know, he's going through all this stuff. I'm like, why do you keep saying? He's like, I do, I love you, I love you. Um, Jesus tells him in verse 18, most assuredly I say to you that when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked wherever you wished. But when you are old, you will, stretch out, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me, follow me. So Jesus gave Peter a heads up of how he's going to die. And when? To a certain extent, he's like, when you're old. When you're old. Peter, they're going to, when we know church history, they're, they're going to crucify this guy. And he asked to be crucified upside down because it, he, he didn't feel worthy to die in the same manner of Jesus. So here's Peter in jail. It's the night before he's going to, quote, unquote, be killed. And he knows, like, well, number one, I, Jesus told me I'm going to die when I'm old. And I ain't old, all right? This guy's not that old. Could be in his 40s at this point in time, possibly early 50s. He's like, I'm not old and he said, I'm, I'm not going to die by a sword. That's how you sleep well at night. You treasure, you store up the word of God in your heart. You believe upon his promises. It gives you peace. Where in the midst of the crazy storms that life is going to throw you, you can sleep peacefully at night in the midst of a dungeon while you're chained up by not one set of chains, but two chains, not the wrapper, okay? But two chains by two prison guards. If you're a certain age, you got that. Um, you're, not supposed to be, you're not supposed to have a good night of sleep in those circumstances. Every expert would tell you today, unless, unless 
you know Jesus, and you understand that he holds your future. He holds your future. Now, could it be possible that Jesus specifically told Peter how he would die, when he would die, so to speak, because he saw this moment coming? It's possible. It's possible. The point of that, in one sense, was for Peter to, to be reminded, as, as we need to be reminded as well, you follow me. Follow me. And then Peter did the classic thing. But what about that guy? As he points at John, right? And you're like, oh, Peter, Peter, buddy, just, why are you so much like me? Um, right? He's like, well, what about that guy? And Jesus is like, don't worry about that guy. If I want that guy to stay alive until I come back, he's going to stay alive until I come back. That's none of your business. You follow me. What a good lesson for all of us. Keep your eyes on Jesus, follow him, and get a good night of rest. Get a good night of rest. Sweet sleep. I love that from the Proverbs. Sweet sleep. Sweet sleep. Now, if you're like, well, I have insomnia. I'm sorry. Um, let's, well, you know, you should get that checked out. Um, you know, drink some chamomile. Do something. I don't know what you need to do, but, but I do know this. There should be peace about your heart, an overwhelming and overabounding peacefulness within your heart and your mind because you're staying fixed on him. You're following Jesus. You're following Jesus. Even in the midst of a dungeon, locked up, we would be peering in through that window and I'd be looking in on that and be like, why is this dude not pacing around? I would be pacing around. I would be sweating. I would, it's the night before. You're on death row. You're, you're going to the execution. You are going to die. Peter's like, that's cool. It's all right. I know what the word says. I know what the word says. It's good. It's good. I'm going to get a good night's sleep. And he wasn't even worried about when he was going to get out or even how he was going to get out. He just knew, well, if this is where God has me, I, I guess I should just rest here. I should just rest here. Rest where God has you. Oh, that's a fascinating thing. Another application point. Where does God have you? Are you resting there? Peter was resting in the, in the dungeon, sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers. Normally, that's not the case either. Two chains, it's just normally one chain with one soldier, if at all. It says the guards before the door were keeping the prison. So there, he was surrounded. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, just shows up. And uh, it says, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck. I like that. He struck. He kicks Peter in his ribs, okay? This is what happens, okay? Yours might be like he nudges him. Don't, it's, not what, it's not what you did do to your kids. It's what you do to your teenagers when you got to get them up for school. You're like, hey, get up, you know, right? It's not like, hey, hey, you might want to get up. School's coming pretty soon. This angel's like right there, and Peter's on the ground. He's like, boom, kicks him. He's like, hey, dude, you need to get up. Just a nice strike, right, in the, probably in the ribs, as Peter is so asleep. He doesn't even wake up to the fact that, we don't know, I don't know what's going on, but this prison cell is illuminated with a light, and nobody knows what's going on. Peter's just out, sawing logs. You know he was. He's just snoring away. This angel gets up, and he's just like, kicks him. He's like, hey, dude, we got to go. You got to get up. I love this because God can meet you in your predicaments and he can do the impossible, but he does ask that you do the possible, okay? So never forget that. You do need God to bail you out in, when situations are impossible, but there's oftentimes a part that you have to play. You can't just be like, God, carry me out right? Peter could have laid there limp and been like, hey, just carry me out, dude. This is suffering. It's hard. I need you to, he's like, no, get up. Get up. You need to get up. You get up. You gird yourself. You tie your laces. You put your shoes on. You follow me. God will deliver you out of the impossible. He knows how to handle that. Nothing is impossible for him. But never forget that he, he oftentimes will ask us to do the possible. The angel shows up, says, hey, get up, arise quickly. The chains fell off his hands, right? That's a miracle. They just fell off his hands. 
So his angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. Good job, Peter. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So, they went, so he went out and followed him. And he did not know what was, uh, he did not know that what was being done or what was done by the angel was real. He thought he was dreaming. He thought it was a vision, right? He thinks he's still asleep in the dungeon, but thought he was seeing a vision. Verse 10, when they were, then when they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. See, even God can open iron gates. He's getting, he can get you past guard station number one and guard station number two. I know, oh, what about that big, heavy iron gate? No worries. God knows how to open doors. It's cool. Even prison doors. He can kick them right open. Just keep following him and don't worry about it. But you have to follow him. There is action on your part, on my part. You have to follow him. You have to. You have to. You can't be lazy in Christianity. You can't be lazy in walking with Jesus. You can't be. And you can't expect him to do everything for you. You get up. You tie your shoes. You follow him. Just trust him. Trust him. Whatever obstacle, whatever mountain may present itself before you, listen, he's got a plan. He's got a plan. If he wants to kick open those doors, he'll kick them open. If he wants to throw you over that gate, he will throw you over that gate. If he wants to teleport you from inside the jail to outside the jail, he can do that. And by the way, he has done that. Just read about what's happening with your brothers and sisters all over this world. As there are people who've been locked up in jail, standing on this side of the gate, and how, do you, how did it happen? I have no idea other than God picked them up or transported them from here to here. Explain it. Can't. Don't want to. Don't need to. God's bigger than what we understand. And if he wants you to get through those doors, he'll open the doors. It's not a big deal for him. He's got a master lock to every closed door. And praise God, he has the ultimate wisdom in which doors to open and which ones to leave closed. Just got to trust him. We have to trust him. Trust, trust, trust. It says, the gate led out to the city, which opened to them out of its own accord. And they went out, went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from them. See, that part's done. Like, what Peter couldn't do himself, God sent a messenger through the angel to do the impossible. But once that was all accomplished, then Peter. Peter's stuck there, left at the intersection, and the, and the angel's gone. So now Peter's going to be like, well, I can just stand here, or I think I'm supposed to move. Yeah, yeah, you got to move. You need to get to where it's safe. Because if you stay here, they're going to arrest you again. You need to move. Well, where do I go? Well, you go to where they're praying. You go to where the people are praying. That's the best idea. So that's what he does. Verse 11, when Peter had come to himself, I like that, because it came to his census, this whole time, he's like, this is the weirdest dream. Listen, what did I eat? Or what haven't I eaten for the past few days over that feast as I'm smelling all the delicious food being prepared? Like, man, what is going on? And then he came to his senses. The light bulb came on. He's like, it's really true. <laughs> it's true. I thought I was dreaming. The Lord sent his angel and he saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. He knew. He knew they were looking to kill him. So he comes to his senses, he realizes that it's the Lord who's rescued him, verse 12. So when he considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. So John Mark, this is the one who uh, would, would be used by God to pen the gospel of Mark. And by the way, uh, more than likely, a lot of those stories and recollections from Mark came, probably came from Peter, okay? Really cool connection that these two had. John Mark, um, his mom had to be well off. She had to have money. Because you don't have a house where a bunch of people can fit in and do a prayer meeting, especially in that area, in that culture, in that environment, unless you've got some money, okay? So that's kind of cool. She's got a big, nice house, and she's like, you know what I'm going to do with my big, nice house? I'm going to bring people into my big, nice house, and we're going to have prayer meetings. We're going to do church inside my big, nice house. That's a cool thing. That's really nice of her to do that. 
That's what? Hospitality. It's hospitality. She had it. She had it. And look at the effect it had on her boy as he's going to go off on a missionary journey. And this is going to kind of cause some problems, but, you know, no big deal. Um, but it had an impact on his life. Mom was committed to Jesus. Mom was following Jesus. We know he was around when Jesus was betrayed and in the garden. And all that. He was the naked guy who ran away, right? They seized him in his garments, and he kept, kept running. That was John Mark, okay? So he was kind of walking around, but you, you need to understand that his mom more than likely had a tremendous impact on his life in following Jesus. Hey, moms, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for loving Jesus. Thanks for doing that. Keep doing that. Please keep doing that. For your children, for your grandchildren, for your spiritually adopted children, just keep loving Jesus. So he goes to their house. He knows these guys. He's going he's gonna to show up at their house, and, uh, and he's there. It says, there are many gathered together praying. That's encouraging. There was a lot of people at this prayer meeting. It's not very common nowadays, right? And you, church, hey, church is going to have a prayer meeting. Everybody's like, well, I'm busy, right? And you're like, no, no, no. Okay, it's cool. No guilt trip. But um, when you have to pray, hey, listen, you better get to where people are praying. That's all I'm going to say. If trouble has fallen upon the church, there better be a good turnout for a prayer meeting. That's all I'm going to say, okay? So these guys, we understand, man, it's critical. And they're all together, and they're going to be praying. So Peter shows up at their house. He says he knocks at the door of the gate, and a girl named Rhoda, or that could be translated Rose, right? Uh, Rhoda's there. She's a servant girl. She goes to answer the door. uh, And when she recognizes Peter's voice... Because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they, I love this. So here's, here's Rose. She's, she hears knocking and appears like, hey, psst, hey, can't be loud because he doesn't want to get rearrested. He's like, hey, hey, Rose, hey, um, it's Peter. Let me in. She's like, what? And she takes off running. He's like, no, come back. Please come back. What? Ah, oh, Rose, she's gone. She goes into where they're praying. She's like, Peter's at the gate. And the believers who are actively praying for his deliverance at that moment say, girl, you're crazy. Well, wait, what what are we doing? We're praying. We're praying for this. And God has answered your prayer. Get out of here. You're crazy. We got to get back to praying because Peter needs to be delivered. She's like, ah, he's here. He's right out there. God's already answered your prayer. God was moving, maybe even before the prayer meeting started. But the two or three are gathered together in his name. And that's a beautiful thing. And they're praying. They're interceding on behalf of Peter. And they're, I mean, they're in agony, in agony praying for him to be rescued and delivered and Peter's like hey um I'm out like I'm I'm here I'm I'm here can you guys let me in because I don't want to go back to jail can you let me in and the reasoning is this well they tell her you are beside yourself which that's my translation is girl you're you're crazy yeah you're crazy you've lost it Rose you've lost it you're out of your mind. When she insisted, they decided, oh, you know what it is? It's his angel. It's his angel. It can't be Peter because, well, God doesn't work that fast, right? I mean, I mean, we believe in prayer, kind of, I guess. I don't know. But certainly it doesn't happen this quickly. Jewish belief, you know, they're, they're guardian angels. Are there guardian angels or are there not guardian angels? I, I don't know. I kind of think that there might be guardian angels. Maybe an angel has been assigned to you from the moment you were born, who's kind of had the job of watching over you. I don't know if that's true or not. But they believe this, and they even often thought that the angel that was assigned to you would often look and sound like you. Now, I don't know where you put that on your theological stance or anything like that, but I do know there's been moments in my life where there's been unexplained things that have happened to where it's like, I shouldn't have survived that, like literally. Like, Going seven, 
75, it's probably going a little bit faster, down a freeway coming up over an overpass and there's a huge mattress in the middle of the highway. And I'm in a minivan, Honda Odyssey, with all my kids coming from church. And I'm going too fast and there's too many cars on beside me. I can't get over. And there's a mattress there. My only way is on the shoulder and it's all loose gravel. In an instant, I did this and we were around the mattress. And I don't know how that, I, we didn't, I just, I don't know. And my first thought was like, God, did you just rescue me and my family from, I don't know what it's like hitting a mattress at 75 miles an hour on the freeway, but I don't think it's a good thing in a Honda Odyssey, which has no clearance, right? It's not like I can just run over the thing. But I just knew in an instant, we were around it. No swerving, no spinning out, no nothing. I'm like, God, is that, did you have like an angel kind of watching over us? I kind of feel like that's what it was. I don't know. These guys believe that. It's not true in this story because it's actually Peter. They're like, it's not his guardian angel. It's not his angel. No, it's, it's him. Now, Peter continued knocking. Praise God for that. Um, he's, gonna, he's listening to Jesus, some of the other Jesus' messages. like, just keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking. He's like, um, is this what he meant? I don't know, but I need to get inside because they're coming for me. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They were astonished. Jaws had dropped and all that good stuff. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he's like, mm. he's like, shh, shh, shh. They're coming for us. They're going to be coming for us. We could talk about this inside. We need to keep it cool. They don't, want, they don't know who's watching. They don't know who's listening. And Peter's like, hey, 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 hey. Shh, 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 shh. Let's go inside. It, the heat is on, right? Like, the pressure's on. He declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. He said, go tell these things to James. Uh, that would be Jesus' half-brother there. And to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Peter got out of there. Where'd he go? Well, maybe to, up to some of the churches. We don't know. He will be back momentarily in the book of Acts before, as far as the book of Acts is concerned, we don't hear from him again. But Peter's like, I got to get out of town. I'm, I got to get out of here. He's like, but you need to tell these things to the brothers. You need to tell this to James. You need to tell it to everybody else. They're coming for us. They're coming for us. It says, then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers at what had become of Peter. They're like, hey, where'd he go? Where'd he? And they're looking everywhere. They're like, where'd this dude go, right? I don't know what happened to them, but he's gone. It says, but when Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death, which was the standard practice. If your prisoner who you were guarding escaped, then you got his punishment. Sixteen guys died. They died. And Harry probably didn't even bat an eye to murder his own guys. He's like, well, he got away. And I, I'm supposed to kill somebody today. Looks like I'm killing all you guys. And they all died. It says, when they went, then he went down to Judea to Caesarea. And here's where the chapter ends. Really weird ending to a chapter. But here you go. Here's where you can trust God. You can trust him in the dungeon. You can trust him when you're unfairly treated for the sake of the gospel. You can trust him in all scenarios of your life. And here's the other aspect of how you can trust him. You can trust him to deal with the bad guys. You don't have to do it. Don't take on a fight that's not your fight. Don't do it. Don't try to solve something that's not your business that you can't solve. Or really, you should just leave it up to the Lord. Let him be your defense. Because the church could have rallied together. They were growing. I mean, this was like, there were like thousands of these guys at this point in time. They could have rallied everybody together and said, you know what we need to do? We need to revolt against this corrupt leader. And we're going to march against him and all that stuff. They could have done that. Probably would have cost them their lives. Or they could have just said, you know what, Lord? 
Because it would be Peter who later writes to the churches saying, you know what you need to do? You need to honor the king. Because there was another madman to come after. Now, I know, understand that Herod was just ruling in a certain region within Israel, but there were going to be more madmen to come. And Peter's, and both Peter and uh, Paul's exhortation to the church is, hey, whoever's in charge, you should show them respect. You should pray for them. You should honor them. But they're crazy. They're like, they're murderous. Yeah, you should, why don't you pray for them? Why don't you pray for them? That could be a good word for our entire nation right now. I got a lot of friends. They're losing their minds. It's like, why don't you just pray? Why don't you just pray? You can say all you want to say. You may not like so-and-so. You may not like so-and-so or this party or that party. Who cares? At what point in time are we stopping to pray? At what point in time are we going to stop to pray? You're actually going to hit your knees. You're going to develop some calluses on your knees, become like James, old camel knees, and actually pray. Really quick with this, really quick with the Facebook post, really quick with all that nonsense. Nobody wants to pray. It, it's, it's ludicrous. It's insane. We're a church. We should be praying. We have the Word of God. And in the Word of God, He says, Hey, I appoint leaders. You pray for them. But they're bad guys. Doesn't matter. Why don't you pray for them? But I don't like them. Who cares? Get over it. Pray for them. This is like the climate of our country right now. This is the climate of so many churches right now. And I have really good friends of mine. And I'm like, what are we doing? What? Pray. Pray. Well, but this problem, I don't care. I don't like politics. Politics are not my thing. You know that. I say that all the time. It's not my deal. It's just not my deal, okay? But I know this. Whoever's in charge is there for a reason, and I should be praying for them, and I should be praying for them. I don't support everybody who's in charge. I do not, okay? And there's elections coming up and all that stuff. What am I looking for? I'm not associated with any political party. I'm not. Tell me this, are you for killing babies? Then I will not vote for you. I'm sorry, but I won't do it. Because I cherish human life. And I think they matter. I think they matter. And there's a lot of other stances where I'm like, okay, if you pass through this filter, then I'll give you my vote. Now, it's harder and harder each and every day because a lot of people are not passing through that filter on both sides of the equation. But it's like this. This is my filter. This is my filter. We need to be praying. We need to be praying. Didn't plan for that. There you go. Um, here's Herod, the guy who's in charge, at least regionally. He's been appointed to be in that position. He'd gotten to be somewhat buddy-buddies with this guy named Caligula, who is a wicked, perverse leader within Roman Empire. He didn't last too long, but he got buddy-buddies, so he's able to position himself, so to speak, and, and gain this, you know, a lot of times, surprise, surprise, not much has changed, but you can buy your way into, the po into politics, and if you have enough money, then you can be in charge of something, Right? That's how Herod got to where he's at. It says, verse 20, Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, having, a, having made Blastus. That's a terrible name for your kids. Um, do, never, do not name your kid Blastus, okay? Just saying, maybe your dog, but not your child. Don't name him Blastus, okay? It probably meant something different back then. Just don't call him Blastus. Um, anyways, so they got buddy buddies with Blastus, the king's personal aide. Uh, he became their friend, and they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. So on a set day, Herod arrayed himself in, a royal, in royal apparel, sat on his throne, and gave an oration, a great speech, or at least so he thought, to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. You better not ever say that to me or to anybody else who stands on this, this stage. You better not. Don't do it. 
okay? Because I'd hate to see, hopefully, whoever stands up here to teach doesn't have the attitude of this guy, okay? Because he's about to die. Because he's like, you know what? You're right. You're right. I do. I, I am pretty good at what I do, okay? That's horrible, all right? So never, never ascribe to anybody credit that they do not deserve. And if it's a pastor, they don't deserve any credit. They don't deserve any credit. They don't deserve any credit. Anything that comes from here, that goes from here to here and out through this thing, it's a miracle by God, okay? So anything, any, you just thank him. Thank him because this guy deserves no credit, none. Anybody who stands up here, you like what, what was said, you can thank God for that. Thank him, okay? Herod's like, yeah, all right, I like this. We can be friends again. Voice of a God, not of a man. They kept saying that. It says they kept shouting it. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him. This is Herod. Because he did not give glory to God. Well, that's fascinating. This is the same guy who just murdered one of Jesus' guys. And he's there taking on all the praise and receiving it as if he was deserving of it and as if he was God. And this angel of the Lord struck him down. And he, was, and he was eaten by worms and died. What? What? There's a thought that he was already being eaten by words from, worms from the inside. And this just happened to be the day and the moment where they got the best of him. Talk about some bad food. I don't know what this guy was eating, but it started eating him. And he died. That's a good warning for all of us. Hey, if you're in ministry and you think it's all about you, it's not. If you think you're something great, you're not. I know that's not a positive message, but you're valuable because of who you are in Christ and what he has done. He has made you and all that stuff. You have, you have more value than what you realize. But when it comes to serving him, if you think that you're top dog or you're the best and all that stuff, you're not. You're not. He's the best. He's the best. Don't let the worms kill you. Don't let those worms eat you. Because they will. And they do start from the inside. And they will work their way outside. He died. But, verse 24 the word of God grew and multiplied. Hey, praise God for that. Persecution's happening. The word is growing. It's multiplying. Verse 25, the last one, and we'll pray and get out of here. I'm sorry, but this took a little bit longer. So it says, and Barnabas and Saul, still there and drew, you know, still kind of hanging out. They're still the team, the A team, you know, kind of a deal before they have their own split. But uh, they returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, they delivered the gift to the church there in Jerusalem, which, by the way, was still suffering from the famine. They had all that pressure, too. They returned. They fulfilled their ministry. That's good. Sometimes your ministry in certain places only lasts for so long, and that's okay. Hey, that's okay. Guess what? There's probably, a, there's always an Antioch. There's always an Antioch. There's, there's always a Jerusalem. You can go from here to there. You can go from, and just serve. Just do your job. That's it. Just do your job. And that's what they did. They could have stayed in Jerusalem. The door just opened up for leadership. That guy just died. And Peter took off. And there's Barnabas and Saul who could have been like, you know what? Two, two spots just opened up. We could be, we could do what we've done in Antioch here in Jerusalem. That's not what they're supposed to do. That's not what God intended for them. God needed them to go and do something else. When their job was done, they took off and they took with them John Mark, or John, whose surname was Mark. And then they're going to begin the first missionary journey. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. But you see how God is in control. God is in control. You can trust him. You may look at this story and be like, man, these are cool old stories, but I don't know how this applies to my life. Um, you may not be in prison. You may not have the threat of going to jail because you're a Christian. It doesn't matter. You will have your own threats personally each and every day because our enemy, who Peter would say, is, is creeping around like a roaring lion. He's seeking whom he may devour. So the threat's real, but you don't have to be afraid. 
You don't have to be afraid. And I don't always like the analogy. Some people say, well, it's like the lion, but he's been, you know, declawed or defanged. I don't, that's a huge cat, and he jumps on me and pounces on me. It still hurts, okay? I'm still terrified, you know, that's still an enemy. But I'm not afraid, so to speak, because God's got it. The Lord's got it. If he had Peter when he was in jail and could break Peter out of jail miraculously, you know what? He's got you until your job is done. And when your job is done, hey, guess what? You just entered into the best phase of your entire existence. And that's new heaven and new earth. So enjoy the ride. Try not to get too stressed out. Don't get too worried about it. Trust the Lord and understand he cares way more about you than you'll ever realize. He just does. Okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. I thank you so much for the reminders that you are in charge, you are in control. Um, Lord, even when things are happening in our lives that we don't understand, they don't make sense, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't rely on our own, our own understanding, but Lord, that we would trust you and knowing that you have, you have us. You have us, Lord, and you are in control, and we, man, God, you are so good to us. And you care about us, Lord, more than what we realize. And, and I pray, Lord, that each and every day we would be awakened to that realization. We'd wake up fresh just knowing, man, today God cares about me. And Lord, not only that, but you care about our loved ones and you care about this lost and dying world. And Lord, we're still here. So help us to be on our knees for this lost and dying world. Help us to be on mission for you, Lord. Making disciples, teaching them your word, baptizing them in your name. Help us to do those things, Lord, for you, for your kingdom. Not for our own, Lord, our own credit or anything like that, but all for you, Jesus, is what we would pray. We thank you so much for this day. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for raising from the grave. Thank you for solving the biggest issue in our lives, and that was separation from you because of sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are coming back. We do pray for our nation. We pray for our world that's in panic right now concerning a, a virus, Lord. Um, I pray, Jesus, that you would help the body, your body, to keep our heads. And Lord, not to mock, but to come alongside people and to point them to you, Jesus. In the time of fear, it's, this is now the time to start looking to you, Jesus. Help us to be proactive with that, Lord. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.